0: your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 24, verses 18 through 25. It's our third message in the series, uh, Bring in the Harvest, giving, God, giving to God what He Deserves and Requires. Now, this morning, I'm actually going to talk very little about money, but I am going to talk about giving, giving your best, and we see that here in this passage, uh, talking about David. Uh, Oswald Chambers, probably the most famous devotional writer, wrote, Worship is giving God the best that he has given you. Be careful what you do with the best you have. Whenever you get a blessing from God, give it back to him as a love gift. Take time to meditate before God and offer the blessing back to him in a deliberate act of worship. If you hoard a thing for yourself, it will turn into spiritual dry rot as the manna did when it was hoarded. God will never let you hold a spiritual thing for yourself. It has to be given back to him that he may make it a blessing to others. First sentence for this, worship is giving God the best that he has given you. And that's the title of the message, give your best. 2 Samuel 24, 18 through 25. Read that for me, Uh, read that with me as I read it. All of you, one time read it. Yeah, that's what, no. That would get awkward and confusing. Let's not do that. Y'all just do it silently. How about that? Gad came to David that day and said to him, "'Go up and set up an altar to the Lord "'on the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite. "'David went up in obedience to Gad's command "'just as the Lord had commanded. "'Araunah looked down and saw the king "'and his servants coming toward him. "'So he went out and paid homage to the king "'with his face to the ground. "'Araunah said, "'Why has my lord the king come to his servant?' David replied, "'To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so the plague on the people may be halted.'" Arauna said to David, "'My lord the king may take whatever he wants and offer it. Here are the oxen for a burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and oak, uh, ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Araunah gives you everything here to the king.'" Then he said to the king, "'May the Lord your God accept you.'" The king answered Arauna, "'No, I insist on buying it from you for a price.'" For i not offer to the Lord my God, cost me nothing. David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 20 ounces of silver. He built, built an altar th- to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord was receptive to prayer for the land, and the plague on Israel ended. Now, you can probably see where this, where I'm going to be in this passage this morning, but we, we need to get some background covered here and understand where it's coming from. Um, David has brought about a plague on Israel for conducting a census. Now, censuses weren't evil. Uh, they weren't wrong by themselves. The problem here was David do it uh, did it very likely out of pride. Uh, that's where it began when he conducted this census. But interestingly enough, if you go back and you read about the census at the beginning of chapter 25... It tells us that, uh, or rather, chapter twenty-four. It tells us that the Lord was angry with Israel, so He led David to conduct a census, and then punished him, punished Israel for the census. But if you look at the parallel passage over in Second Chronicles, it says that Satan got into David and led him to do to to conduct this census. So, what do we do with all of that? Well. We come to the conclusion that God allowed Satan to tempt David to bring about judgment. That's where we are. It was all part of God's plan. Satan was more than willing. We can see this with Job. Satan's more than willing to tempt, to, to deceive God's people. Satan does nothing that God does not allow. God is sovereign over Satan just like he's sovereign over everything else. So God allowed it to happen in order to bring about his purposes, which is how everything works. So that's that's what happened in this chapter, chapter 24, to get us this point. Now this is this chapter is actually a bookend chapter. Uh, it, it occurs earlier in David's life. We are at at the end of 2 Samuel, we're at the end of David's life. First Kings comes next, and we get uh, a chapter or two about David, then he dies, and Kings is all about, first and second Kings is all about or are all about the kings that came after David beginning with Solomon and on down. Uh, This is a bookend. It's here for a theological purpose not for a chronological purpose. And the theological purpose is it's presenting David as an ideal king, as as THE ideal king contra all the other kings that are going to come after David. Now David was not perfect and and that's the, the beauty of this chapter. This chapter is not presenting the perfect king, it's presenting the ideal king, the best king you're going to get this side of heaven. That should be a little foreshadowing there for where this chapter is going to lead us. David is the ideal king because he cares for his people. If you go back a few verses, David prays that the plague would stop killing people in Israel because it ended up killing about 70,000 people and prays that it would only kill his family because he... Uh, was the one who was responsible for the plague to begin with. So David cared for his people, and then when the time came for repentance, David repented. He knew what he had done wrong. He repented and turned from that. So those are the two things that made David the ideal king. He cared for his people, and he repented when he sinned. If you go and you read First and Second Kings, you find that that was not a common practice among the kings that followed, even beginning with Solomon. Uh, Solomon did not care for his people. He may have repented when he sinned, but he did not care for his people based on the way he taxed them and put them into labor and that sort of thing. You can read that on yourself, uh, on your own time. So in order to repent, in order to show his repentance, God commands David to go to a certain place and uh, build an altar. This place just so happened, with no coincidence at all, to be where the plague ended right there at the beginning of the city of Jerusalem, right here on Araunah's uh, threshing floor, the spot that would later become the temple, where they would eventually build the temple, is where David built this altar to God. All right, so that's our background. That's what gets us here to this, this idea. There, there are a number of ways that we could go, and this is true with any scripture, there's a number, there are a number of different applications we can get from Scripture when we go to it. This is just one of the many applications we could get from this passage, but this is where we're going this morning. First, we see in this passage that David responded to the command to give, the command to build an altar with obedience. 18 and 19, Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up and set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite. David went up in obedience to God's command, just as the Lord commanded. David responded immediately. David heard the command, and he did what he was told to do. And God had commanded a very specific outcome here. God was very clear on what he wanted. There was no equivocation on David's part no wondering now what exactly did God mean by the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite who could he be talking about here There there was no question about that there was no wondering God was very clear on what he wanted him to do we struggle especially if you're 16, 17 years old what is God's will for my life we want to know what the next step is It doesn't stop when you're 16 and 17, teenagers, sorry, Uh, up until the day before, maybe the day of your death, is when you stop wondering what God's will is for your life. Might be just after, just after death, that you stop wondering what it is that God's will is for your life. But God is never hidden. God is never hiding what he wants us to do. God is clear on what we are supposed to do. Uh, what are you supposed to do when you grow up? Well, the Bible doesn't tell you that, but it does tell you what you're supposed to be when you grow up. What, are we, what am I supposed to do day to day? It's not, maybe it doesn't map it out for you like that, but it does tell us exactly who we are supposed to be day by day. God's will for us is clear, and sometimes, often, when the time comes, I would say all the time, when the time comes for us to get a direct word from the Lord, he gives it, and he gives it clearly. The problem is not with God speaking, it is with our hearing. David heard through the prophet Gad and knew exactly what he was supposed to, to do. The thing is, David didn't even own what was commanded here. He was told to go and do something at some place that wasn't his. Uh, for example, he might tell one of you, go uh, and build a church where Lake Charles Civic Center is. Um, God... There's already a building there. Uh, I don't own that. I, store, I, don't, I can't build it. I don't have the money. You know. But that's the command. That's, that's what you have to do. So you figure it out. You go and you be obedient. David was confident of his, his success here, though. David didn't shrink back from the task. David didn't uh, concern himself with the how. Th- there are some that would say that Arauna here is not a name. It's a title. It's possible that Araunah, the Jebusite, the Jebusite was the, uh, the, the, the people group that owned Jerusalem before David took it over. It was uh, you know, in a list of people, Ammonites, Moabites, Amalekites, Hittites, Hethites, Jebusites. It's one of, those, uh, one of those names. It's possible that this guy was the king, the previous king of the Jebusite city-state. And, and maybe that's what it was. So this was this was no small endeavor. This was no minor thing to go and buy this. Uh, it says twenty ounces of silver here. If you read in Chronicles, it says something like six hundred shekels of gold or something like that. Uh, the, the the discrepancy here is what Kings or Samuel, the book of Samuel is talking about, is David was buying all the stuff. And the threshing floor. But the threshing floor rarely came without the fields that went with it. So it took 600 shekels of gold to buy everything that he was buying from Aruna. Aruna, Then it only took a little money to buy this particular spot right here. But David was confident in his success. Not because of his own personal wealth. Not because of his status as the king. Not for any of those things. He, he was confident possibly because he was a king. I mean, we could say that you know this was a defeated king, Araunah, if that's who he really was, and David knew he had power and control over him. That's possibly. Because he was rich, he wasn't worried about the cost, maybe. But because God provides for what he commands, definitely David was confident in his success. David had seen it over and over and over in his life. God commanded something that was beyond possibility, and David went and did it. Let's begin with the giant he slew with a slingshot. Beyond his possibility for what would have been a fairly small, fairly young fellow, five feet-ish, I mean, he would have been good-sized back then at five feet, going up against the nine-foot giant. That's a four-foot difference. I saw this week, Picture on uh, the interwebs of a Florida ladies volleyball player. And she was 6'8. Six, 6'2 eight. Six, eight. Standing next to a four foot eight Alabama cheerleader. It was funny that's still not quite the difference. We got another two feet to go before we get to the difference between David and Goliath. It was a great picture of that. David knew what God had commanded, knew the difficulty, the impossibility of the command, and yet David was obedient. Not only was he obedient, verses 20 and 21 tell us that David was committed and determined. Arauna. Looked down and he saw the king and his servants coming toward him, so he went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. That's always a good idea when the king comes to town, especially when the king comes to your house. Aaronah said, What has my lord the king come, or why has my lord the king come to his servant? David replied, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so the plague on the people may be halted. It was not a question of if, and it wasn't a question of price. And it wasn't a question of Arauna's willingness. It was only a question of would David do what God told him to do? And David would because he would see the task through, he was committed to it, and he was determined because he knew the greater good of his action. Look at his last phrase. uh, So the plague on the people may be halted. David understood the gravity of his task. I don't believe at any point was David thinking, I might have to kill our, our Una to get this. I mean, we might have to start a little, another little battle right here in order to get what God has told me to do. I don't believe he ever thought that. I don't believe that ever crossed his mind because he knew that God had said, Go and do this. Therefore, he would go and do it. If God had given the command, then David was determined to see it through because he had no concerns about its failure. The next thing we see about David, not only was he obedient, not only was he determined and committed, but his obedience influenced others. I I tell you all this nearly every Sunday. I'm still amazed at it, and it's been over a year, but I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away how Sunday school Almost always talks about something That I will be talking about in my message uh, This morning I finally got some other folks to see it too I've talked about it a bunch of times But Brian and Amanda said That happens almost every week I know, it's crazy But this morning, one the first point of our Sunday school lesson I don't know what y'all were talking about But we were talking about Barnabas In our, uh, in our Sunday school lesson And the first point of our Sunday school lesson Was that uh, Barnabas's giving or he encouraged other people by his giving. He influenced other people by his giving. It talked about the field that he sold to give to the church. Here uh, we have David doing the same thing. Verses twenty-two and twenty-three, has come out and said, "All right, uh, what are you doing? I'm, I'm going to buy your stuff and your, your threshing floor and, all, and, and everything I need." And he said, Aaron said to David." My lord, the king, may take whatever he wants and, and offer it. Here are the oxen for a burnt offering and the threshing, threshing sledges and, and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arauna gives you everything here to the king. Then he said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Now, what we have here, I believe, is Arauna willing to give his best because he saw the willingness of David both to be obedient to God but also willing to make the purchase. He was willing to do do it the right way. He didn't show up at Arauna's door. Mr. Arauna, I've come to take your land. God needs it. I'm taking it. Done deal. Forget it. And, And at this point, if we take just what Arauna said, he probably would have said, yes, sir, and given it to him. But David said, I'm here to buy your stuff. I'm here to buy your land, and Arauna says, "No, no, 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 no. I'm going to give this to you." Now, cynics will still say he was scared. Cynics will say, "Well, it's the king. He wasn't going to do anything but give it to him." I, I, I disagree with you uh, a little bit. I believe he was responding to David's faith, because Arauna knew some things. Arauna knew that the plague had stopped at his threshing floor. Arauna knew that he and his family could have died in the plague, and they did not. He knew there's something about this, y'all. This isn't just a normal plague. It got right here. The angel, Chronicles talks about it, the angel of death that was going around killing folks got right here, and suddenly he stopped. By God's mercy, he stopped. I don't know why, Arauna might say, he stopped at my threshing floor, but he did. He knew that. So he's got that in his mind already. The second thing is it stopped at his place. I could have died, and I didn't. Plus it stopped right here. And then look at the last sentence of verse 23. May the Lord your God accept you. I believe Araunah is exhibiting faith here. It's not his God yet don't know if it ever became his God. But he understood the greatness of David's God. Because you better believe Arauna knew the story of David and Goliath. You better believe that Arauna knew the stories of all the great battles that David had won. All the times that he could have killed Saul, but did not. Because he was God's man and placed in that position and he was not going to lay his hand on God's man. He, could, he, he knew all those stories. So Arauna knew that David's got the power. David's God has the power to do whatever he wants. He also knew the stories of David being just, those times when he could have taken revenge on people and didn't, like Saul, like others uh, that, that uh, defied him, and yet he was merciful. Arauna knew all of this stuff. So I believe Arauna responded here in faith because of David's influence, because of David's willingness to be obedient. And to give in order to be obedient to God, we see here in verse twenty-four, David's refusal to offer a cheap offering. Verse twenty-four, the Lord, the king answered Araunah, "No, I insist on buying it from you for a price, for I'll not offer the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing." David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 20 ounces of silver. Now, we have a number of examples in the Old Testament of this sort of bargaining going on. When Sarah died, Abraham wanted to go back and bury her in their home plot, in their home area. And he had to buy a field to do it. And he went to the guy who owned the field and said, Hey, I want to bury my wife In this field, this is where we uh, were years ago, and this is where I want to bury her. And it was customary for the guy you were buying something from to say, Man, we are too good of friends. We're like brothers. Uh, We're family. You are not going to buy this from me. I'm going to give it to you. And then it was also customary for the guy to say, Oh, you are crazy if you think you're going to give me such a valuable piece of property without me paying you uh, back for it. So that was how they bargained. Uh, We see that over and over and over. This is not bargaining, I don't believe. This is David saying, in no way would I ever defile an offering, what God has told me to give, by it costing me little to nothing. No cheap offering on my part. Folks, now we're going to get to some application. Our giving must cost us something. Now you're thinking, every time I put money in the plate, it costs me something. No, it doesn't. I mean, it might sometimes. I, I mean, I, I won't say all the time. But you can give to the church, and it never costs you anything. That's, that's, that's the truth. That's a reality. Uh, doesn't mean that's what you always do, but it does mean it's possible. Uh, for example, and here's where I do talk about money for the next couple of minutes, a tithe isn't 10% of what's left after your bills and your fund. If you make $4,000 a year and you spend 30, a year a month and you spend $3,600 a month on bills and fun and you have $400 left over and you say, "Okay, well I'm going to tithe now. Here's 40 bucks." You didn't tithe. You gave 1% of your income. And it didn't cost you anything. You did everything you had to do and everything you wanted to do, and then you gave God a little bit of what was left over. Uh, a a tithe isn't 10% of what's left over. A tithe is 10% of what you give. But this isn't just about money. This is about an attitude. This is about a, 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 a spiritual reality. Church isn't what you do if nothing better comes along. Church is where you come to be encouraged, to grow as a Christian, to fellowship with brothers and sisters but we treat church as if it's something, If well, if I don't have anything better to do that day then I'll come. If nothing else comes up, we give Sunday morning, we make Sunday morning our leftover, if we make it at all see, it doesn't cost us anything it doesn't hurt to come when we want to do something else evangelism isn't only for when someone asks you I wish it were that easy, folks. I wish that all the lost people would just crowd us and and, and, and really just please, please tell me how I can be saved and on occasion, and it's the rarest of occasions, on occasion that does happen, but that's not how it works and that's not how evangelism is set up. Evangelism is going to cost us something. To tell people about Jesus will cost us something. To live for Jesus will cost us something. We will be persecuted. We will suffer for Christ's sake. Uh, Lastly, our giving must cost us something when we stand for what is right. Standing for right isn't just when everyone agrees with you. Folks, it is very easy to stand up in here and decry societal ills and sinfulness when most everybody in here agrees with what societal ills and sinfulness are. The difficulty comes when we stand up for what is right among the people that disagree and disagree vehemently with us. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when it starts to get hard. That is when our giving must cost us something. And giving costing something was a habit for David. Back in chapter 23, it describes, at the end of David's life, it's describing all of his mighty men, his mighty men of valor. You had the the 30, you had the three. I mean, it was his closest bodyguards. And it describes the various feats of the three. One of the feats was he was uh, in the midst of a battle. The Philistines had taken Bethlehem uh, and were garrisoned there. And David said to his three, his mighty men, Oh, if I could just have some water from the well at the, be, at the uh, gate of Bethlehem. He was, he was dying of thirst and it was, to him there was no better water than that for him. It wasn't Kentwood. It was apparently much better. And so his mighty men said we're gonna go get some. So they did. They went to Bethlehem. They fought through the, 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 the men. They pulled water out of the well. They drove. They they came back to David They brought him the the goat skin of water Here is water from the well of Bethlehem And I won't do it because I I don't want to get fussed at Or have to clean up the mess But David took the water that they gave him And he poured it out And he said Far be it from me to drink water That men have given their blood for He offered it to the Lord It was a drink offering It was so precious to him that rather than drink it, he gave it to God. That is giving to the point of sacrifice. That is giving our best. See, our salvation only cost Jesus everything. Therefore, our obedience should only cost us the same. If we are going to be obedient to Christ, obedience will cost us everything everything. That is the climax of the passage. I don't know if you remember in your literature class, and I don't remember all the, uh, uh, the terms for it, but you read a story and it builds and builds and builds to the climax, and then you have the uh, is it the denouement? That's the, who, who's my English teachers in here? The, the, as the story uh, finishes up and, and we end the story after the climax, the climax was, David said, I will not give a cheap offering, and then We see the result of that in verse 25a and 25b. First, David worshiped in his giving in 25a. He says, It built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. When he had done what he set out to do, he worshiped God. When he had given his best, when he had been obedient, he then turned and worshiped God. His whole purpose in giving was worship. That was the reason that he was there to begin with. From the command onward, the goal was worship. Build me an altar. Why? Because God likes to see things built. Because he had to, took particular pride in stonemasons that would stack rocks in a particular way. Well, that's a good job there, stonemason. I'm glad you built that. No, the whole purpose was for God to be worshipped. That was why David did what he did. His giving was to worship. If we have put any other label on our giving but worship, we're doing it wrong. Our giving is worship. Whether it's giving our money, whether it's giving up uh, things on a Sunday morning so we can be in church, whether it is giving up our comfort so we can evangelize someone, tell someone about Jesus, whether it is giving up our connections in the community so we can stand for what is right according to the Bible and not for what is right according to the culture, it is all about worship. It is all about giving our best to God the plague resulted in a lack of worship and David's giving turned back the plague and then finally after David worshipped God blessed the obedience Uh, last half of 25 then the Lord was receptive to prayer for the land and the plague on Israel ended so the plague stopped and God responded to David's worshipful obedient giving God responded. God sees when we give our best. God knows when we give our best. Did David get his money back? Because that's what some people are going to tell you. You give your money, God's going to give it back to you. I ain't telling you that. I'm telling you that God will bless you though. David got his country back for 20 ounces of silver. David restored his relationship with God because he was willing to give, willing to sacrifice, willing to give his best. I will not stand here and tell you what God will give you back when you give, but I will tell you that God will bless you when you give. When you give your best, when you give obediently, as we talked about two weeks ago, and as you give of yourself, your whole self, first, as we talked about last week. See, David stopped a plague with a sacrifice, and Israel was healed. It's a foreshadow, it's a picture of what Jesus did. Jesus stopped the plague of sin by his sacrifice, and we are healed by his blood. Jesus gave his everything for us, and he demands no less than our everything for him. Our only acceptable gift. To God is everything. Everything. We give Him the 100% and He lets us keep 90 We give Him our whole lives and He lets us enjoy football on Saturday. Might not be as enjoyable next Saturday, but eh, we can hope, right? You know, he, we, he lets us enjoy baseball once a year for the World Series if it's a team I like. That's the only time I. Watch baseball, to be honest, and you know, but he, he gives us it, it's all his. My life is his, but if I get to watch football or baseball or go hunting, uh, they call it hunting, not killing, as I've proven uh, the few times I've been this year. Uh, they, all these things, these are gifts. my family is a gift, I, but they're not mine. My wife is not mine, my children are not mine. I, am, I enjoy them, I love them, but they're his. hardest prayer. I've ever prayed was one that I'd heard another parent pray, or heard of another parent praying. Lord, do not let my children be born if they will not follow Jesus. Whew. That's tough. Don't let them be born if they won't follow Jesus. But they're not mine. They're His. And I want them to live for Him and give everything For him. Our entire life is a sacrifice. The most important offering you will give will not be an altar that you build, will not be the biggest check you've ever written, doesn't matter if you win the lottery, doesn't matter if we get up to the 900 and something million dollar lottery like we had a few months ago. But if you win it, 900 million dollars, you better write a check for 90 million dollars to this church. And yes, I will take your tithe off of that. That's That's the devil's money. We're going to put it to God's use. That's all I'm, you know. But you better, you, 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 it does, but that doesn't matter. That $90 million check, that does not matter. God wants you. God wants you to make the most important offering your life. Now, the reason you need to do that is because God is holy and just, and he will judge sin. So you must offer yourself. You must recognize the fact if, if he's holy and just, let me look at myself. Nope, I am not. I am the opposite of that. I am willfully sinful and fallen. That is who I am. And I am destined for everlasting torment and judgment because of my sinfulness. Because he is holy and I am not, I'm damned to hell. That's just the way it works. And that is the way it will always work. And that is the way it works for every person unless we recognize Jesus, the perfect son of God who took our place on the cross He was our substitute, but he also took our sin on the cross. He he took our our sinfulness. He took our punishment on the cross. He was there for us, doing things for us, dying for everyone, and then he rose three days later. He made the perfect offering. That's what he did. He gave his best, and Jesus' best was himself. And we're not as good as Jesus, but our best, to give our best, is to give ourselves. And we do that first and foremost by repenting of our sin, placing our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, by uh, believing in him through faith alone. And then we live for him. Romans says we, we put our lives on the altar. The sacrificial animal didn't get up. The sacrificial animal didn't say, could you just take a foot? maybe a hand maybe an ear and just let the rest of me go the the sacrifice doesn't get a say in how it's used when we give ourselves we do not get a say in how we are used so this morning will you give yourself will you put yourself on the altar will you trust christ lost person believer will you give your best Will you say, no more mediocrity, no more partial gifts, no more of the leftovers, but I will give my best of my money, of my time, of my faithfulness, of my uh, evangelistic opportunities, of my willingness to stand up for what is right in the midst of situations where I would rather not be, where I'd rather not have to stand up, where I'd rather not have people look at me and say, hmm. I didn't know that about that person. We don't do that around here. Well, too bad because around here we do. We follow Christ. Believer, what do you need to do today? What decision do you need to make? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that 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 you that you, you own it all. It's all yours. And let you yet yet you let us keep so much. Lord, thank you for trusting us with what you've given. Thank you for letting us be a part of what you are doing in your kingdom. Lord, may we be faithful with what you've given us. May we uh, use it for your glory. May we give our best. May we be obedient in our gift, as we saw David was. May we influence others because of our willingness to be obedient, Lord. And when we give after we've been commanded, may we rejoice, may we worship you in our giving and not let it be a a drudgery or an opportunity for complaining. Lord, use us to influence others. But God, this morning, as you work on believers' hearts in your sovereignty work on unbelievers' hearts, may they recognize their lostness their sinfulness this morning and may they trust Jesus for salvation. May they pray to you this morning, Lord, I am a sinner and I confess my sins and I trust Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. Lord, save me. Make me whole. Make me complete. Welcome me into your family. Because we know that that prayer is a prayer that's answered. Lord, do a mighty work in this place this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is your decision? We're going to have our invitation now, and in a few minutes we'll, have, uh, we'll take the Lord's Supper. But what's your decision right now? Believer, do you need to come and give God something this morning? Pray at one of these rails, give it to Him, and not take it back. Unbeliever, do you need to trust Christ for your salvation? Have you done that? Does, was that a prayer you prayed and you, wanna, you just want to let people know, I'm, today I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm making the best offering I can, the offering of my life. I encourage you to come. Let me pray with you, and let's rejoice with you. Whatever your decision is, let's stand. Let's do business with God this morning.